that company would have missed out on his ability to serve them and to increase their ROI. So we need to find new ways that people with neurodivergence who really are passionate about whatever your product is, find those people for your roles and you will increase your revenue in an amazing way. Welcome both Mariah and Byron Edgington. Mariah and Byron work together to speak about overcoming differences and divergence in communication. Mariah has many years experience as an ICU and aviation nurse working with, on critical care patients. She's also working with the following neurodivergencies, autism, ADHD, dyslexia, dysgraphia, and dyscalculia. Byron, is, had, Byron and Mariah met uh, because Byron was a commercial helicopter pilot and made a career pivot to writing and talking about divergent relationships. They come together under the headline of their, of their company, Mandate to Elevate. I'm so excited to have both of you to the show. Welcome, Mariah and Byron. Thank you, Jeff. It's yeah. great to be here. Thanks, Jeff. It's great. Great opportunity. Thank you very much. Ah, oh, it's exciting to have both of you. We had such a wonderful conversation just a you know just a few short weeks ago when we were planning this uh, this podcast, and uh, and it felt like such a glass of of, uh, of uh, you know cool water. Whenever you you read about and you and you talk to folks who have such um, deep experiences that are both what what I'll call professional and relational. Right, you have uh, you have your deep experiences working in an ICU or aviation nursing. You have your deep experiences as a pilot, and then all of a sudden, like you guys, pivot. You do full career pivots to this whole area of uh, of TEDx speaking and uh, and writing and authoring and consulting. And I'm like, wow, that's just wonderful. So today, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about two topics that relate now. As a CEO or business leader, you're going to want to pay special attention because chances are you probably have a number of people within your organization that are neurodivergent. You might have somebody with any of the any of the neurodivergencies I listed before. You might have people with obsessive compulsive disorder. You might have people with other types of of uh, neurodivergencies that are either recognized by them or not recognized by them. They may be undiagnosed or diagnosed. Um, and, and they may be, may or may not be willing to share with you as a leader those neurodivergencies, you know, because they may feel that that's a very deeply personal thing. And to be able to understand these things is going to be big for you because you may be dealing with things that are, that are, that you are unaware of and that may be the difference maker between your business success and not. The second thing we're going to talk about is mindset and paradigms. Really, the understanding of what are the, what's that baggage? What are some of those schemas, those, those those frameworks that we're given as children, you know, in young adulthood that last uh, throughout our lifetime? Those assumptions that are baked into our brain, and how do we address them to allow ourselves to do um, you know personal and occupational pivots, you know, so that they're not limiting us. You know, if anything, maybe in some cases they allow us to, you know, they 
we we use them where they're useful, and then we abandon them when they're not useful anymore. So um, I'm looking forward to talking to both of you guys about that. But quite frankly, I want to hear more about your story. Actually, I want my guests to hear more about your story because I heard about it, and I was just so thrilled that you you got to tell me about a little bit about how you guys came together, and um and then uh, and then how you came up with this mandate to elevate. Uh, over to you. Thank you very well, thank much. Thank you so much, Jeff. It's interesting. Our story started many, many years ago when I was a flight nurse and Byron was a, a pilot. And we were friends for many years before we married. And actually, we've been married. We judge that by the months right now. It's 284 months because we enjoy our relationship so much. But once we were together, we flew together for many years. But it was more than that. We realized we elevated people in different capacities. And of course, Byron, through his aviation work, the helicopter raised us up as a team and had a lot of success in that regard. And me as a critical care flight nurse with a lot of patients, and we helped not just the patients, but their families. And through that experience, we found that we were really good at elevating people. And that was basically how Mandate to Elevate came mm-hmm. to be. That's the name of our company, Mandate to Ele- Elevate. Now, hold on just a second. Hold on just a second. So you're telling me that you're a helicopter pilot and you're telling me that you're really good at elevating people. I am certainly glad about that, you know, because if you're a helicopter pilot and you can't elevate people, we got a problem, right? (laughs) Sorry. That was a, I did not catch on, I did not catch that pun in your, in the name of your, of your company until just now. So I'm a little, Mm -hmm. I got to get more Duncan in me, obviously. Yeah, there you take a take a drink there, Jeff. Yeah, no. In fact, when I was in aviation, I've been retired for several years. But in aviation, we used to say that if you don't think you're the best in the game, you're in the wrong game. And Mm -hmm. really, we didn't realize it either until after we had retired that we spent our professional careers lifting people up. You know, me doing that physically. And Mariah doing it emotionally and psychologically, just when she would give her medical and traumatic or trauma patients back their lives as much as she possibly could is what we did. And so that's where mandate to elevate. And I should expand on that just a bit because, and the other thing we have come to realize is we all have a mandate to elevate other people. That's so true. And when, when people realize that they have that ability, especially in a business setting where a lot of times as a CEO or as a executive, and even as a coworker, you may have experienced somebody who's very different than you. And you wondered why? Well, 80% of the population is known to be neurotypical, which means you have a normal brain, according to society. And the other 20% of us, I'm included in that, are neurodivergent and we act different. And for years, I was told things that were negative. And one of them is, why can't you just be normal? And now, Jeff, I'm happy to say I am my normal. This is me. And there's a lot of people that you probably, your CEOs and your executives are working with 
and coworkers are working with, and they are working alongside somebody who they think is different. And even as much as this is uncomfortable, people would say, oh my gosh, did you work with that weirdo? Well, yes. You know, we all work beside people who are unusual, Mm -hmm. but their talents are deep. And when we go looking for them and share that, it's, it opens up a beautiful box of differences. So that's why we speak about neurodivergence. Wow. That's, that's so powerful. And, and what a great way. I mean, what a, uh, an amazing play on words. You're, you're, you're elevating physically, you're, you're, you're through health, you're elevating people, you're, you're pulling people out of what's a, probably a pretty critical care situation. And now, you know, in a more relational way, you're elevating people to be able to be the best version of themselves that they possibly mm-hmm. can be. And, um, you know, I, I think about my own team and, uh, people used to laugh, say like, you know, the one, the one factor that a lot of our, uh, the folks on my team would have would be, uh, you know, either diagnosed or undiagnosed would be OCD. You know, they'd be like, do you actually go out of your way to recruit people with OCD? And I said, yes, I do. Yeah. And I said, they go, really? Do you test them? I said, no, I just look for those, 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 those tells. I said, because quite honestly, I need it as a compliment to, to who I am. Right. Yeah. I, I know that I'm, I'm the opposite of OCD. Like I have a different, I know my, you know, I tell people, I said, I said, I don't, I don't apologize for my leadership style, but it is different. It is different than almost anything you will have experienced in your lifetime. And I don't, don't apologize for it, but don't, but don't be prepared for the typical leader here. Right. Yeah. And, um, and so that's, that's what you're talking about because, because in some cases the leaders themselves might be neurodivergent and they yeah. might be figuring out how do they relate back to their team who are a combination neurodivergent, neurotypical. So let's unpack the concept of neurodivergence for a second. Let's help me un- unpack and understand uh, what that means and, and, and why, why is this important for business leaders? Yeah, I, particularly, I think, in a business setting because, uh, like you said, uh, even the leadership may very well have these traits. But one of the things we focus on in discussing neurodivergence in the workplace, especially and CEOs and the C-suite folks, are slowly beginning to embrace this concept. But we we mentioned in our talks and in, in, in our writing that these traits are not deficits. They are benefits. Mm-hmm. And if they are explored, um, you know, people talk about the tyranny of similarity and the tyranny of fitting in. And that's especially true in a workplace environment, I think. Um, but once people realize that those traits can be explored and celebrated. And research is starting to show pretty robust results that doing that can add to the ROI and does in most cases. And so this is something that, and, you know, and there's all kinds of talk about the DEI and DEIB and all the acronyms, but the reality on the ground is that once we explore the differences and the the benefits that that can add to an organization, um, there's only, it can only go up from there. And so they need to look at folks who identify this way and welcome them and get to the HR department, have them actually look for those traits 
This podcast is brought to you by Paradox AI, also known as Olivia, recruiting's most advanced AI assistant. I used Paradox at my previous organization, and their team helped us create a candidate concierge experience that ensured a fast hiring process that still felt very human. We literally hired hundreds of thousands of people, many of whom were critical healthcare workers needed during the pandemic. It's not just me. Organizations like McDonald's, General Motors, Unilever, and L'Oreal use this technology to create engaging and fast candidate experiences. Go to Paradox.ai to learn more about the amazing things Paradox and Olivia can do for you. So, Mariah, you you have a number of neurodivergencies. How did that work to benefit and your your ability to be able to do your job within the within your critical care and your nursing ICU, you know, aviation career? Well, it's interesting that you asked that, Jeff, because I didn't at the time when I was really highly in the middle of my career, I didn't realize that I was neurodivergent. I was just me. And it wasn't until 1998 that Judith Singer, an Australian sociologist, came up with the term neurodivergence as an umbrella term to include autism and all the other neurodivergences that you mentioned there. And so as I was going through the bulk of my critical care time, because now I am retired, and this was very late in my career that I even knew about being neurodivergent. So for me, looking back, I see a very competent, very strong nurse who was able to carry herself in spite of the divergences. And as you said, could have they been used as an asset? One thing that I do have, and I don't necessarily know this is attributed to my neurodivergence. However, many neurodivergent people have this trait, a lot of it, and that's intuition. And I saved a lot of patients' lives because I didn't listen to outside stimuli. I listened inside and would tell a doc, hey, this is going to happen. We need to pay attention to it. And inevitably, it Mm -hmm. saved lives. So I was fortunate because I leaned into this unknown and stood up for, I was a patient advocate in a, in an amazing way because of the things that I intuitively somehow was able to know. And many neurodivergent people have that trait of high empathy, high intuition. And if we're allowed to use that freely instead of what we call neuromask it away, then you can increase your productivity in your teams in an incredible way. But one thing I want to add, Jeff, is for leaders to go ahead and see if they can find some way to accept more of the neurodivergent people. And one of the ways they found is by incorporating a new hire who looks either appears like they're neurodivergent or actually states that they are and bringing them on board and buddying them up with a neurotypical person. Mm -hmm. And what that does is it increases the ability of that neurodivergent person to feel comfortable enough to display or utilize those skills that they have that are a real benefit 
So that's one thing I encourage leaders to look at. And Byron has a, a great story of a neurodivergent person going through an interview process who was helped by. Yes. Yes. And, uh, this person, this individual was by all uh, outward appearances, at least was not someone who would fit into the organization. I mean, his, his resume, his veto was stellar. He had, he had checked all the boxes, but he wasn't hired because of so only because of his neurodivergence and, and that company had found out later that they regretted not hiring him because he would have added to their bottom line immensely had they been, had he been hired. But let me, let me diverge just a little bit to a personal anecdote between us because when we wrote our first book, our journey, well, you are more than enough first book. We wrote that together. We collaborated on that and it was, it was quite the, uh, quite the ordeal going back and forth together to get that book in print. Because uh, one thing I should add about Mariah has ADHD and she allows me to say that, but uh, ADHD we found out is, kind of a misnomer because it stands for attention deficit. And when Mariah finds something she is passionate about, there is no attention deficit. There is a laser <laughs> focus instead. <laughs> and when we were writing that book together, because of her input, because of her intuition that she mentioned, um, we had some real, some real uh, interactions, let's call them trying to get that book to print. But it, because of that, because of her input and her intuition, it's a beautiful product and we it's been very well received and we're very, very happy with the way it came out. You know, I love that story because what you just described is the fact that, you know, in, you know, people, people that don't understand the neurodivergences, right. And what they may be dealing with might, might write off, um, somebody, you know, say, Oh, ADHD. That means that they're all over the place. They're scattered. Uh, and absolutely not. Once they, like you said, once they lock in, um, yeah. to something, uh, my son, my oldest son is ADHD and man, you know, at 26, he's, uh, you know, he's, he's just been, uh, he's got a promotion, you know, he's going to be, uh, uh, you know, he's, you know, twenty twenty fifth person of a of a artificial intelligence company uh, that now has nearly a thousand people is mm -hmm. one of their top salespeople in the whole company, and just locks in like nobody's business. I would <laughs> I would not want to mentally arm wrestle with him whenever he's locked in, right? Yeah, um, that's right. That's right. Yeah, there's no way. I, I we would watch football games and he'd be locked in. And by the time that I said the player's name, he would have already Googled them and done research on them in three different places. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. I don't literally know physically even that's how that's possible. My my internet doesn't work as fast as your internet obviously <laughs> does. <laughs> yeah, the bandwidth is a lot different. Yeah. Yeah. That's For so some true. reason, yeah. yeah. And I like how you said that, Jeff, because he has the ability to do three things focused in on one thing and get an incredible result. And that's important, I think, for people in the C-suite to understand and to be able to help people in HR to go ahead and, 
and make some concessions in the way they interview to seek out people who will really fit the roles they need fit. And your son is a perfect example Mm -hmm. because had he not been hired where he is, that company would have missed out on his ability to serve them and to increase their ROI. So we need to find new ways that people with neurodivergence who really are passionate about whatever your product is, find those people for your roles Mm -hmm. and you will increase your revenue in an amazing way. So talk to me about, I'd love to get a story from you. Um, you know, Byron, I loved your story about writing the book. Mariah, I'd love to get a story from you where, where, where you really leveraged, where you found, and you gave the example of, 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 um, you know, your intuition. I think Malcolm Gladwell uh, talks about it in the book Blink, right? It's that, it's that, it's, uh, your, your unique ability to process, uh, previous experiences and blend them into the current and be able to understand what's going on in the subconscious, even though the conscious may not be able to understand why, right? Same reason right. Serena Williams can hit, uh, hit a ball like 5 million miles an hour, you know, with, uh, <laughs> with about a millimeter over the net and still probably not explain to me how to hit a tennis ball, you know, on a perfect serve anytime, you know, That's right. <laughs> but, uh, that true. you know, that I'd love to hear about your, an, a story from you of where you really, um, uh, leverage your neurodivergence for success? Well, that's a, a great question, Jeff. Thank you. One thing that I do know is being neurodivergent is at times frightening. And in the workplace, we do often something called neuromasking. I alluded to it a little while ago. And this is important because when we feel And I'm going to broadly brush this because this is my experience. I'm not a mental health provider. I do know that for me and for a lot of the neurodivergent people I work with and have talked to, this is a common thing. We try our best to fit in because when you are an outcast or an outsider, it's very uncomfortable if you feel like perhaps your job may be on the line where when you look at it, it's probably the other way around. If we allowed our neurodivergence to shine, especially where our gifts are, we could elevate so many people in different ways. And I'll give you an example of how that changed for me in my writing career, because I was the nurse for years and years. And Of course, I was just a nurse. This is a thought process. Mm -hmm. And now looking back, I realized I was an amazing nurse. Now with the the mindset shift that I've done over the last couple of years, I've found that I'm able to own my value and know that I am more than enough, that my neurodivergence makes me who I am. And I shut down an inner critic and an imposter, basically. And that's what I encourage people to do, because when we can turn that off and be able to tell ourselves that we have a power and ability inside of us that needs to be shared, it's like the light you're shining on people through your podcast. It's like the light that you shined on your son when you acknowledge to him his gift of being able to just blow you out of the water, right, for for getting that information. It's like that. 
But if we can focus on those traits and build these neurodivergent people up by basically exploiting their benefits, all of their additions to society, instead of berating them for being different, instead of taking them down and, and not letting them fit in, just accept. Acceptance has been a big thing that I've talked with people with, with my clients, let them know that they have more to give than they even knew. And it's changed a lot of lives. What I find with, to your point, Mariah, is that there's two things. There's a step even before acceptance and it's understanding what is the, that the person does have a neurodivergence, that they are different from you, that they don't see the world or process it necessarily the exact same way as you do. And then going beyond the unknown and understanding what does that mean? What is the world through their eyes? What is their experiences through their eyes? And if you make that much of an attempt to understand where they're coming from, then, then, then you can attribute more rightly some of their motives. And I think that's where we get, we, we, we lose the, the, the train leaves the tracks, right? When we start associating motives with behavior and we say, Oh, well, you know, obviously they must be thinking this because, and like, that's what I would be thinking in this situation. It's like, (laughs) but that's not how they think. So it's not appropriate to attribute those motives. It sounds like I hit a button there. Talk to me. <laughs> well, you did. And I guess this is a, as good a time as any to mention the neuromasking and my role in that as a neurotypical person, because I can't begin to tell you, and it's, it's embarrassing to me now um, to realize how many times I have dismissed and ignored Mariah's intuitions and her feedback because I'm neurotypical. I'd say, well, you know, and my common expression in those cases is, well, nobody thinks that. Nobody really believes that. And it's really, it's a, it's a form of bullying is what it is. I'm going to own up to it because that's not how I see it. I'm a very linear person. Every I put one foot in front of the other and And I don't see my world the way she sees her world. And so because we're 80% of the population as neurotypicals, and this goes especially for folks in the C-suite, I think, be aware that some of those folks may very well be neuromasking. They may not be sharing with you exactly how they feel because, as Mariah said, they're afraid they need to fit in and especially in a work environment where their job may be in jeopardy. So that's something that we neurotypicals need to be aware of all the time. Wow. I mean, how would you feel like if, if you could not be really who you, you know, be able to leverage the gifts that you have, be able to leverage the capabilities you have, because you're afraid that, you know, essentially your, 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 your means of providing and sustaining your lifestyle dependent on you being able to mask who you are, right? That's a pretty powerful thing. And if you as a leader can be able to take away that that need to mask and you say, you don't need to mask it anymore, actually bring that part. Let's understand that part. Let's figure out how you can yeah. bring your autism. Let's bring, let's talk about how you bring your ADHD. Let's bring how, how you talk about your dyslexia, your OCD, your dyscalculia. 
Uh, there's there's things in there that I had to look up what they meant. You know, I, I there were uh, neurodivergencies I hadn't run across before I met uh, met you, Mariah. So uh, you know, there's there's phenomenal things that that as a leader, if you unpack those things, you say if somebody who is a who is a probably the best of the best type of flight nurse whose whose whole life is dependent on your life is dependent on that person. <laughs> being at their A A plus game, triple A plus game. Like if you can if you can say and and then you look at all the different neurodivergencies that you have and say, you know, I bet you I could have somebody like that in my organization be successful. Right? That's the type of pivot that I'm hoping that leaders are seeing in this podcast yeah. today. Stop yeah. thinking that they have to be like you. Actually mm-hmm. Yeah. My, my biggest realization was I don't want anybody to look, you know, be like me, you know, there's sometimes there's more of me than, than needs to go around even just by me being one. Yeah. That's right. That's right. (laughs) Little doses. What you just said reminded me of the opportunities that are out there because I know there's a lot of people who could benefit from just our knowledge base on neurodivergence, neurotypical. And a lot of people are afraid to talk about it. And I'm not, I'm absolutely not afraid to talk about it with anybody, even with the highest C-suite people, because I have so much information that I can share to help them to overcome. And that's the other thing is no one wants to speak to somebody and feel threatened, like, oh my gosh, I don't know enough about neurodivergence. Great, call me because I'm going to share with you what your employees likely are feeling and how important it is for you to go ahead and incorporate what they have. Let's find a solution and find out how your company can benefit from these people just basically through our knowledge. And we've learned a lot of communication tools, neurotypical here, neurodivergent here. And we have a toolbox full of things that can help you to create a better situation for your company and one that will increase your ROI. One of the things we found is it increases companies' ROI when they do certain things up to 80%. Because of utilizing these people's skills that they weren't using. So there are ways to maximize neurodivergence yeah. in your companies. It's just something they need to explore for sure. Yeah. What a wonderful way. And we're going to pivot after making this point. I love what you just said is like leaders don't assume that you know, right? Yeah. Don't be afraid to reach out to somebody like, uh, you know, Mariah and Byron or somebody that can help you unpack what it means and, and also create a, you know, a place that is, um, a place of what we call a place of belonging, right? Mm-hmm. Where, where a neurodivergent person can feel like they can bring their whole self into the work and they still yeah. feel at, they don't have to neuromask, right? Or they can choose the neural mask if they want to, but they don't feel like they have to, right? That's right. Um, that's right. And that's and that's really important. I think that that we we allow that type of environment, we foster that environment as leaders. And 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 you might need help. Like 
you you need help. Listen, if you're going through a merger acquisition that was out of your caliber, you bring in some consultants to help you with an M&A, right? If you were going to go uh, do some PE funding, you'd probably bring in people that had uh, knowledge of how to how to get VC or, or private equity funding uh, as uh, investors into your organization, right? If you didn't have any experience in in doing certain types of technology, inserting AI, and you, you probably go out and get those types of people. Why wouldn't you go out and get people that can help you understand and unpack the potential within your current employee base? And not only your current, but also think about your future. Like yeah. you might think different about who you recruit and how you recruit based on the fact that you you actually are looking for certain neurodivergencies to be a complement to your skill set. That's right. And, uh, you know, I should add here, just for what it's worth, um, we ended our TEDx talk <laughs> last April with a quote from Emerson. And Emerson said, to be yourself in a world that's constantly trying to make you something else is the greatest accomplishment. And so once we allow everybody to be who they are, good things happen. That's all. I love that quote. And what a perfect transition to the next topic, which is about mindset. Mm -hmm. So, Byron, you and I um, were talking right before we started the recording here. And we started talking about the mindset, the paradigms, the things that we are, um, that we, you know, we start off our lives with, we've taught about, and they're, they're built in assumptions and how we view the world and how those, uh, you know, those may, you know, sometimes limit our ability to pivot. Love to have the, have the two of you guys share with me some of your thoughts on, on, uh, on the role of mindsets and paradigms and, and how they can be both useful. But also how they uh, how they can be how they need to be challenged at times. Yeah, great questions, all of these, Jeff. And uh, first of all, I should I should mention that minds are not brains. There's a difference. Right. Mm-hmm. And let me give you a little, just an anecdotal thing from my aviation career, if I may. Uh, a lot of the aircraft I flew had an autopilot. And what would happen is once I got the aircraft up and leveled off at the altitude I wanted and the speed and the course, I would set the autopilot. And the autopilot would keep that aircraft on that course and at that altitude and at that speed. And if a gust of wind came along or some turbulence, it would take it off that. The autopilot would snap it right back to where I had set it. And that is how our paradigms work. Our paradigms are the autopilots of our minds. And anytime we get out of our comfort zone and there's some turbulence in our lives, we immediately snap back to that paradigm, to that course and altitude and speed. And it's hard work to, first of all, recognize those things and then to change them. And those paradigms come from, they come from infancy. They were, they were taught to us as gospel truth from the time we were old enough to understand anything. You know, and I guess one of the biggest of all time, of course, is around money. And everybody has a paradigm about money. And it's interesting because research has shown that folks who make, let's just make something up here, folks who make $50,000 a year, if they buy a lottery ticket and win $10 million in the lottery, over and over again, within a few years, those folks are right back to earning 50000 a year. 
that's their paradigm. And it's, it's, inter- it's a very, very interesting field of study because, as I said, none of this is easy to change, because, partly because no, none of us question those things. And so we have in our speeches and in our webinars and in our, in our, our writing, we have what we call the why, why, why exercise. And we ask each other questions. Well, I don't think I can make more than 2000 a month. Why? Well, because they don't pay me enough at the company. Why? Because they can't afford to. Why? Keep going on and on and on. Why, why, why? And that's one of the best ways we know of to really get to the root. And here's the root of most of those paradigms, because we feel like we don't deserve it. And it seems like we always end up at that spot. Well, I don't deserve it. And yet we're not willing to admit that to ourselves. And once we can say, yes, I do deserve it, then things start to change. And the thing is, Jeff, that no matter whether it's 2000 or 2 million a month, everybody has a set point. Mm-hmm. And if we look at that and see the value that we can bring to the world through our gifts, we can change our paradigms. So for every executive who is listening to this, imagine yourself, just take yourself to this place. It's going to be a big stretch, but I want you to know that you can make your annual salary, your monthly salary. And the way you do that is mindset. It's a shift and stepping out of that box that you're in because that's where you are. So let's say you earn 200,000 a month. Let's say you earn 2 million a year. Put your mindset around stepping into a brand new paradigm and knowing that the way to get there is by the service you give others. And when you can serve other people to a greater extent, because right now what you do needs to be shown to more people how you do it. So whether it's writing a book, whether it's giving a seminar, whether it's teaching someone a new skill, you have the ability to change and break out of that paradigm. Yes, and that is, if we can circle back to mandate to elevate, let me share just a little bit more about that. It's all about service because we, our mindset, if you will, is quite frankly, we want to change the world. And a lot of things we have realized since we began this effort and this endeavor, one of the things is, and this is something, especially in a business setting, I believe is true. We have discovered that we change the world every day, no matter what we do. That's just a given. That's, that's inevitable. And so why not change it for the better? And also, we have this mandate to elevate and something that we never expected to happen. We understand that it's a little bit selfish. And why do I say that? Because when you lift someone else up, let's say you have a, a supervisor in your business, and they elevate someone else, they feel so much better themselves by doing that. And it's, it's almost a selfish thing to feel better. And so that's one of the things that drives us. 
and what we do. That's that's so powerful. I think you know you think about. Um, I think Bob Burke has a has a book called The Go Giver, and one yeah. of the uh, one of the the points in there is exactly that. It's uh, it's you know it's thinking about the person first and the value of the service that you provide to them and make sure that it's one that it's more than the payment, you know, putting that other person first, not putting what you're looking to get out of the relationship. It's Mm -hmm. that whole service mindset. And then, and then the very last, I think it's, it's something you made a point of saying, you know, I don't, uh, you know, I'm not, uh, I don't deserve it. Well, you're not willing to receive the gift. That's the fifth law of the go-giver, you know, the receptivity. Yeah. being willing to receive the gift back and say, Hey, you know, we can, you know, I don't, I, I've given an awful lot. I feel like it's okay if somebody wants to give to me, because quite frankly, in the giving to me, I will be able to there and in turn give to others. Right. I yep. think uh, it was interesting. A, a friend of mine, uh, we were at church last night, uh, yesterday, and he talked about, about giving. And he's like, you know, you know, in, in, biblical terms, he goes, the whole idea of giving is that you're being given this so that you can give it out. Like God allows you to have so that you can, so that you can disperse it, not so that you can hoard it. He gives a lot of parables that talk about, you know, don't build that second silo of grain. You know, there's no reason because the dude died the next day. He's like, what was that for? You know, congratulations. You built the silo, didn't get to use it. You know, (laughs) it's about dispersing it out and and being trusted to say, I'm going to give you this gift. But I expect that you then in turn release it out, out to other people so that they can so that they can be, you know, it can serve as their fuel as well. So yeah. what a beautiful, uh, you know, what a beautiful an- analogy there. So that's really well, good. Thank and, you. Uh, one, one last thing I'll say about what I, what I just mentioned. One of the things that drives us, and this is in our, in our value statement, we do not live in a zero-sum world. And I think that's yeah. mm-hmm. slowly fading away in society, I hope. But we do not live in a zero-sum world. We live in an abundant world where everyone can win and can realize their own potential. We believe that. hundred percent. It's a misnomer and a, and a, and a, and a mental deception to think that you live in a zero sum world. Yeah. yeah. You can, you can lift while you climb, you know, and you can, uh, and, and, and actually the funny thing is, is that anybody who's actually, who actually understands the concept of, uh, of giving to others, realizes that they actually get a lot more fuel in their tank at the end yeah. of that giving than it's maybe even the giver, true. the receiver gets. Yep. It's amazing how that yeah. works. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it is, it's phenomenal. So, so that mindset change that you talk about, I love that, you know, the, the these paradigms, you know, I mean, just think about me. I mean, you know, if I don't care where on on the planet I'm heading, I'm probably you know I, if my wife isn't you know course correcting me, I'm heading to Duncan, you know. And she's like, no, 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 we're going the other way. We're going out to eat, or we're do- yeah, but my car is like automatically going to Duncan, right. you know, to to get my coffee. And and so you know, and I and I'm not, I don't, I am not sponsored by Duncan yet. But uh, but if anybody oh, from Dunkin' yeah. Donuts wants to sponsor me, you know, I would, yeah. I would, I, I am receptive. Yeah, that's right. Being open to receiving is yeah. so true. 
Isn't that fun? <laughs> when we change our mindset, it is amazing how quickly things can change because now that you've opened that thought for Duncan to sponsor you, <laughs> be prepared to find that in your life. That's right. Careful what you ask for because you're going to get it. So. Right. That's a great point. It's as you as you start to switch the mindset, you it's just not an aspiration that you throw out there. You actually believe inside. You're like, okay, this will... You know, this will take hold. Somebody asked me, they said early on, they said, will you actually do a podcast here? How long are you going to do it for? I said, what type of question is that? I said, I'm going to do it forever you know, until I die, probably. Yeah. You know, they were like, yeah. really? I said, well, in either that or until I decide that it's no longer something that I feel like I should be doing anymore, if that ever happens. But at this point, I, I don't I don't see an end to something before I even whenever I just started it. All I see is the upward potential. <laughs> yeah. And Jeff, you know, the interesting thing about that question is, and I feel that this probably will resonate with you. You will continue doing this podcast until the service is no longer needed. Yeah. And when we go into mm -hmm. any endeavor, knowing that we are here to serve, because as you mentioned, Bob Berg, with what he does, it is absolutely about serving other people and helping in any way that you can. And that's the one thing I, I would have to say that is probably the best thing that has happened to me and for me with learning this new mindset. And that was, I no longer live in fear of what other people would think of me or what happens outside of me. I now know that I, and this is a favorite quote of mine from Rumi, and that is the beauty you see in me is a reflection of you. And I believe that fully, that each person has this beautiful essence inside of them. And if they are allowed to find that their mindset can switch it on, it changes their life. I, I think that that those quotes are wonderful. And before we, before we wrap, we're going to make sure we get that Emerson quote and the, uh, and the, uh, and, and, and who was the person that quoted that the beauty you see in me is a reflection of you? Who is that? Rumi. It's R U M I. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Okay. And the Rumi quote, want to get those put up, um, for folks because I think it, as inspiration, they really serve to to think allow us to think different and uh and challenge uh challenge us uh to uh to to reconsider uh one of my favorites from my father was uh um uh all generalizations are bad including this one yeah <laughs> uh, he was a smart guy yeah <laughs> he drove me crazy with that one for 52 years now you know <laughs> Yeah, yeah. The the unsolvable problem, right? Yeah, the circular logic. Conundrum. Yes, that's right. Yeah, that's and right. Jeff, I would add one more thing here too. And if and I'm going to shamelessly plug our book here again, if I may. But uh, yes, when we please. wrote Journey Well, you are more than enough. We uh, we heard people because we hear this all the time. Oh no, you're enough. You're fine. You're okay. You're adequate. But when we subtitled that book. 
we purposely chose you are more than enough because more can't be defined. It's unlimited. And that's we, we put that there on purpose because and that's a mindset thing as well. And that's something else. I, I mean, it's a bit of a stretch, but folks in the corporate environment can look at that statement and say, you know what? That's true. We don't know what we're capable of. The only limits we have are the ones we put on ourselves. That's it. That's right. Well, and and I love the fact that you you, you did tie you know the the word fine in corporate America. I call the the corporate four letter word, right? Yeah. Anybody yeah, that ever right. told me that they were fine, yeah. I was like, oh man, what's wrong? You know, I was, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. You know, the hairs in the back of my neck stood up, and I was like, sure. oh, we need to talk. Let's grab a room, right? Anybody who's fine is not fine, right? Yeah, and, that's right. Um, you know. So uh, what you are more than enough. Like you are, you are so much. I probably couldn't even handle all that you are. You know, well, uh, you which know. is awesome. Yeah, and I, th- I believe this. We believe this. That if any one of us knew what we were capable of, it would probably scare us to death. You know, okay. and we need to tap into that. So, with the with the book Journey Well, I, I yeah, I think that we should make sure that we're uh, we put that up on the website and make sure we have links to it. I'm sure there's tons of advice there for for relationships, for people, for you know, as it relates back to neurodivergence. But let's talk about the CEOs and the business leaders who are listening to this. Going, wow, I've taken a lot from this podcast. But but what can I do tomorrow? What's the one or two things I could do as a business leader tomorrow that could help, you know, help me to grow my business with people? I got investors clamoring. I got customers, you know, um, that really need service. I got employees who have deep, you know, deep needs and, uh, and, and I want to grow them and do better by them. I have suppliers out there that are, you know, that, that want to provide more to me than probably I can afford. Yeah. How do I how do I leverage what some of the things you talked about in, into one or two things I could do tomorrow? Yeah, excellent question. And uh, I guess the first thing that came to mind for me was that, I mean, obviously, it sounds like a kind of a silly thing to say, but business tends to be transactional, of course. Of course it is. But I believe, we believe, one of the, th- there's a, th- there's three parts to every transaction that, and a lot of businesses, a lot, in fact, a lot of individuals miss that third step, and that is service. You know, we, we tend not to think beyond the sale. When the money's in the bank and the customer goes away, we tend to disregard that, that third step of service. So if I were in the C-suite, I would be looking for ways to serve that prior customer in some way and maintain that connection in some way. And I, a lot of companies do that a lot better than they used to, but that's the first thing I think. The other one, and Mariah can talk about this better, the I am exercise. And this is a personal tool that you can use. You want to address that? Yeah. When, when people know, and this is probably something that'd be good for the executive to know, that their confidence is contagious. Mm-hmm. And when they can change their mindset and get around even though, and this may step on some toes, they already feel that they're really, they've got the confidence. They, they know that they're more than enough. But the bottom line is 
a lot of people really question what's going on in their lives. And when we can work with somebody, and I encourage everybody who's listening to this, if you don't have a mentor, get one. Because we all think that we're doing okay and or we just realize that, oh my gosh, I have to, I don't have enough time, I don't have enough money, I don't have resources. But you would be so surprised at what difference a mentor could make in your life. And it's not just me or Byron who do this. There's thousands of people out there. Find a fit for yourself. Get yourself a mentor who can help you build yeah. even more confidence and understanding of yourself. And you will grow as a person in your personal relationships, but also in your business. And your business will go to a higher level because you will have more respect You will have for yourself. And then you will get that in turn. It's that service. When you start serving your people in a different way, they're going to start serving you. That's some powerful stuff. You know, what we, you know, I, I, I think about, I think about our conversation here and, and really talking about service, you know, uh, where does, you know, where do we start serving the customer talking about the confidence of a leader and really understanding where to, where to rest in your confidence, like not to have this false confidence that you, you know, is false, right? Oh, well, I, you know, I'm the greatest gift to blah, 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 because of, you know, some thing I did. Well, that, it's not about the things you did. It's, it's kind of, I think to your point, the I am statement, it's who you are. It's the confidence in, in who you are and what you stand for and, and, and what you bring. Right. And, uh, and that is, that is wonderful. I think, uh, Kim Adele Randall one time, uh, one of my guests said, sometimes you have to look for people, maybe a mentor that can lend their belief to you. And you have to be willing to adopt their belief, right? Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. That's, uh, what a beautiful thing it. to say. I don't, I don't see that in myself. I see insecurity. I see, I see questioning. I see, you know, frazzled. I see this. I see that. I see, you know, all over the place. And, and maybe the mentor just says, well, actually what I see is somebody who has a lot of energy. I see somebody who's hyper-focused once they, they need to. I see people who can, a person who actually gets a big following of other people that are willing to follow them and the, who cares deeply for others. That's what I see. And you say, well, yeah, can I borrow that? I, I want to use <laughs> that version of me. <laughs> that one sure. that one feels a lot better than my version. Can I just borrow yeah, that yeah. for a little bit? <laughs> yeah, and uh, allow me to elevate my sweet spouse, if I may. She has come up with, she referred to the I am exercise, and she could talk about it a lot better than I do, but what it allows you to do, and in some ways it allows you to serve yourself by using this exercise, and I'll describe it in a minute. But when we serve ourselves, we will have that confidence she referred to. And the I am exercise I'm referring to, in fact, your listeners and Anybody can go to our website and download this exercise for free. But Mariah realized indirectly that we wrote the thing, of course, in English. And someone mentioned to her that she wished that her mother could have this exercise. And cut to the chase, we determined that her mother didn't speak English. So we set about 
to change that. And the IAM exercise that's on our website available now for free is available in 15 languages. And so that was a mindset shift for us as well. But it's there, anybody who needs it. And I can tell you from personal experience from watching Mariah do this exercise at least twice a day, it will change lives. That is powerful. So, so go ahead and give everybody what the website is, so that then they will uh, we'll put it up on our website as well. It's www.mandatetoelevate.com. That's wonderful. So today, thank you so much, Mariah Byron, for being with me on the show. Today, we talked about neurodivergence um, and talking about how we can explore it as an unexplored strength an untapped capability within your organization that you as a leader may be completely missing up to 20% of your organization or more, their capability to do amazing things within within your organization through because of neuromasking and, uh, and your ability to create a culture that allows for neurodivergence to flourish. Will, might be the thing that, that is absolutely unlocks your capability as a company. You also uh, talked about mandate to elevate and, and how uh, service is really the key, you know, that we, we don't really look in a, you know, we're not working in a, in a zone where we're, where we think that we, it's a zero sum game. We're working in a zone where there's abundance of, of capability within our organization to serve. And then also we need to have the receptivity to be able to be served by others so that we can in turn pass that along to others. So really it's that, it's that fluid, that virtuous cycle that has uh, been, that has been given to us to say, this is how the more you give actually the more you receive, right? As uh, really the, 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 the shorthand version of that. Also, we talked a little bit about a couple of quotes, and I'll let, let you get both of them uh, from Emerson and uh, and uh, and Rumi. So we'll we'll quote, close on those. And I love the fact that your recommendations uh, that businesses tend to be transactional, but the last part of that transaction service sometimes gets the least focus, and the service is really in the value you provide, as well as you just gave the audience a gift the free I am exercise that they can go on your website, www.elevatetomandate.com to be able to see and take that, uh, take that exercise and learn more about themselves as leaders to be able to be, be able to give that confidence of themselves up to their team. So let's finish with this. I'd love uh, for, for Byron, why don't you go first with the, with the, the Emerson quote, and then, uh, and then, Mariah, you can close us up with a roomy quote. Okay, yes. Ralph Waldo Emerson. To be yourself in a world that is constantly trying to make you something else is the greatest accomplishment. And then Rumi's quote is, the beauty you see in me is a reflection of you. If that doesn't sum it up better than I could ever, I don't know what does. Thank you to Byron and Mariah Edgington. Thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate the conversation and the friendship and, uh, and looking forward to, uh, to hearing about all the different people going in and checking out of your website and, uh, and, uh, and learning more about your book, uh, Journey Well. So thank you so much. Thank Thanks, you, Jeff. Jeff. We appreciate it. Thank you. 
This has been another great episode of Growing Your Business with People, a podcast dedicated to business leaders all over the country and all over the world who want to grow their business with their biggest and most important investment, people. Thank you very much.